Good morning, listeners. This is PW Grocer's Environmental Echo, and I am your host, Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PWGC. Today, as always, we have got a very interesting and exciting guest I'm happy to have. Um, before I even mention that, it is Women's History Month, so we do have a, what do you know, a woman guest, which, you know, we're trying to get more of. We're trying to be more diverse here on the, on the Environmental Echo, and I'm, I'm proud to say it's working. We have Lisa Broughton from Suffolk County. She is the Energy Director and Climate Action Coordinator uh, for Suffolk County's Department of Economic Development and Planning. You know, um, so we're going to have a, a pretty interesting conversation today about what Suffolk County is doing in terms of um, energy and climate change and a whole bunch of other, uh, I find, fascinating topics. And you guys have heard some other tidbits and, you know, little snippets along the way as we've been doing this podcast. But before we begin, I just want to let our, know, our listeners know, as always, if you guys are trying to reach us or get a hold of us, uh, the best way to do so is through our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. If you guys have questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, ideas for additional topics or guests, please reach out to us and let us know. We try to be as responsive as we can and get back to everybody. But uh, to get back to Women History, Women's History Month and our Guest, Lisa, I, I, I'm excited. I'd like to read her intro, a little bit of her bio and on who she is so our, our listeners have a, a better perspective. Uh, Lisa has served as Suffolk County Energy Director since 2008. Is that correct, Lisa? Yes. Oh, boy. So here we are a few years down the road. And also she serves as the county's Climate Action Coordinator. She's led the county's Climate Smart Community Certification effort and was Suffolk County, uh, and that's Suffolk County Certified as Silver, the highest award for that. Yeah, they don't have a gold yet, but if they did, we would be shooting for it. All right. <laughs> uh, Lisa also was a project manager on multiple large-scale clean energy projects, including Suffolk County Solar Carport Project. I'm sure a lot of our listeners and people that are tuning into the, the show have, have seen some of these. You know, they're, they're highly visible. Uh, Suffolk County was awarded a National Soul Smart Gold Award for the county's commitment to solar power which is, you know, another, I assume that's top of the category there? Absolutely. Gold is gold, <laughs> and uh, that's top in the country. Outstanding. Uh, she collaborates on energy efficiency projects at county facilities and coordinates the county's applications to state and federal programs, and she's also the liaison to the local utility companies. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, boy. Very closely with all of them. Wow. Uh, Lisa's also been supporting local businesses for nearly 20 years now as a, an economic development specialist for the county. Um, since 2005, and serving as an advocate for manufacturers and businesses in the emerging fields of clean energy, high technology, and biotechnology. And you're going to have to fill me in later on what high technology is. I know we've got a lot of, um, let's say, marijuana things going on, but I don't think that's what it is. Well, it, it wasn't <laughs> in the past, but it might be in the future. Oh, boy. Uh, but Lisa, also, she holds a master's degree in public policy from SUNY Stony Brook, a great local school here in Long Island, and as You've been an accredited uh, lead AP. I did do that. I went through the accreditation and uh, worked closely with our USGBC LI. Wow. Uh, and in 2015, you were recognized as a finalist by C3E Women in Energy in the government category. And since then, uh, you've led Long Island Women in Energy, Energy Program, which attracts about 200 people to uh, a couple events each year. Is that correct? Yes. In fact, just the other night we met and um, we had a uh, a mixed event, not full C3E, with 140. So we broke all our attendance records. And oh, they, my gosh. I think maybe post-COVID, folks just really wanted to get out. They were itching to get out, for sure. We well, had a great night. Well, Lisa, welcome. Uh, we're, we're absolutely thrilled to have you today, especially uh, this, this time of year, Women's History Month. So welcome to the show. Thank you. 
Uh, so let's get started. You know, what can you, I mean, I, I did go through a little bit of this, but can you tell us any more about some of your, your past experience in history? Yeah, so um, when I became energy director, uh, LIPA had just put out this RFP for 50 megawatts of power. So we worked through that year of 2008 and nine, and had a lot of different uh, solar developers come around. And the ones that we said, yes, you could use this county property, and they went into the RFP with us as a partner, didn't get chosen. But then late in 2009, the one that LIPA did choose, which was uh, an exco, uh, came around and said, hey, we really like your parking lots. Apparently, they had been trying to partner with some school districts, fire districts, and Stony Brook University, and it didn't pan out for different reasons. So they came around and told us how great our parking lots would be. Now, <laughs> we, we had o- I had always envisioned the H. Lee Denison building for solar carports because there was a lot of um, empty space, and uh, it just looked like it, it had potential. It turns out that we had uh, the Long Island Railroad parking lots had great potential, our Riverhead County Complex, our, um, even our North County Complex, which has got a lot of buildings and, and smaller parking lots, but that worked out. So in the end, we built nearly 13 megawatts of distributed solar. And the biggest misunderstanding of that, uh, especially at the Denison Building, is folks think that we're using that power. So the way that the project worked is Anexco had a power purchase agreement with LIPA to deliver every single kilowatt of that power to LIPA, to to the grid. We got lease payments, so we're still getting those lease payments, and it's about $350,000 a year. And I like to think that we were kind of real estate geniuses in that we are renting those parking lots, but we continue to park on them and use Uh, them. So they they rented the space above. I got to say, I have at the Denison Building in particular, I've parked there numerous times, and when it's raining, man, that's great. Yeah, it <laughs> may not be generating the electricity, but I, I have a, a drier walk to and from my truck. <laughs> they, they were not meant to be covers. They do have some uh, openings for drainage, but they do help. And, um, yeah, a, a small thrill in my world was on the Google Maps program, seeing that they um, list covered parking available at some of our sites and I thought wow okay we that was not the goal of this but it certainly is a fun thing to see so let me ask you how did you get interested in a a career that's you know becoming you know sort of centered around clean energy and energy efficiency you know what led you down this path how did how did you you know what, what what's your passion that drove you to this so if if you come to my office in a hop hog you will see a sign for a stop shoreham which goes back to the 1980s when I was a high school student. I happened to have been at Hop Hog High School where uh, there were a lot of activists. And, and one of my friend's mom was involved in this um, group that was against Shoreham. And so I had also been an editor in my high school paper and wanted to do an editorial against Shoreham and how terrible it would be. Three Mile Island had happened while we were young people. And so we were really worried and living on an island, all of those uh, arguments, which, um, you know, now there's a new argument about the carbon and how successfully France and even Connecticut across the shore from us have used nuclear power. But back then I was 16 and didn't know all that. Anyway, <clears throat> the newspaper advisor said, you absolutely can write what you want about Shoreham, but I challenge you to be constructive write about something else that you would like to have 
if, if we're not going to build this power plant. So back then, we're talking, you know, actual encyclopedia books, but hours in the library that I spent looking up solar and alternative energy, everything I could find. And my editorial ended up being about tidal and wave power. And, oh, wow. Which still isn't happening on my watch, but I, w- I very much want that to happen. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so I was aware as a young person about other sources of energy and really kind of frustrated that it was so many years before we actually saw solar and now very recently wind starting oh to take gosh. off in this country. And, and, you know, with the time we're, time we're in right now, you guys, um, I'm sure our listeners, everyone's feeling the pinch with gas and oil and everything else. The prices are just yes. through the roof, roof because of geopolitical conditions or, you know, yes. what's going on in the world. And it's not getting any cheaper. It's not getting any cleaner. No. You know, so Imagine if we had done what Europe had done 20 years ago, even to have that bit of security, to have some megawatts of offshore wind coming into the mix, but they are coming soon. Oh, they are. And you're starting to lead into some of my other topics I want to get into, but, um, you know, it is 2022. So what, you know, for this year, what's the county looking at in terms of maybe some clean energy goals or clean energy initiatives? You guys have anything that you can talk about? Well, so no, <clears throat> no uh, big projects like the the uh, carports. Or we didn't mention we have Gabreski Airport has also got solar. We we were able to get four point two megawatts out at the airport, and um, that project is unique. If you know airports and the crisscross of the runways, so our solar project is in between the runways, and it's um, I'm told by the solar industry unique in that most of the times when they do airport solar, they do it to the side or, you know, on the outside of the uh, runway area. So um, that's going great, too. Uh, On the horizon, we are uh, continuing with our environmental justice work. So a lot of the work that the county does really is about cleaning up or uh, finding ways to make things better, whether it's through clean energy, or we do a lot of work with water. And unfortunately, I am not the right guest to go into any detail on that. I know that's a sweet spot for your oh boy, company. We, lo- we <laughs> but, absolutely love it, yes. But um, yeah, so but certainly you're aware that the county executive had said that nitrogen is our oh, yeah. number one enemy of our clean water system here on Long Island, the aquifer system. So we've been working very hard on uh, expanding our sewer system, doing alternative to uh, wastewater treatment plants, and um, and that's starting to really take off. And then just um, our ongoing program with resiliency, with rehabilitation of wetlands, uh, there's just, you know, a lot of, of that kind of work that happens to also intersect with environmental justice, where some of the polluting things, some of um, actually a, a really interesting uh, thing that, that we're um, – starting to see some um, terrific uh, traction on is our land bank, which was one of the first in the uh, state that was formed after there was legislation to allow counties to form these, has been very successful now in taking some of these older properties that have either been dry cleaners or gas stations, and and they're in people's neighborhoods, and they really are blight. And the owners stop paying their taxes, and yet the county, as opposed to what we would normally do, a taking, 
if you know that there's something on that property, an environmental problem, you don't want to necessarily take that title. So they're in this netherland, this sort of in-between world. And so what the land bank is able to do is without the county touching that title, is transfer it to somebody who will clean it up and redevelop it. And at the same time, we work with the EPA and the DEC and get those properties rehabbed and so that we can transfer them through our auction or, or through the land bank. So there, that work is just critically important. And it's, it's in folks' neighborhoods. And I think that uh, some of the work as well is residential that could be a, a beautiful home for people. And, um, and so rehabbing those homes and, and getting those back to where there's uh, people living in them and their oh, decent man. homes to live in. Now, does this relate to like the county brownfield program? Because my yes. office, we are pretty heavily involved in that program with Suffolk County. You know, it's essentially taking a contaminated site, getting it cleaned up to a certain degree where you can reuse it. And, uh, you know, it seems to be pretty successful and it's, it's working. Yes, that through our health department is also a critical component of this as well. That's exactly who we're working with, the health yeah. department. Oh, man. So I, I, I think the land bank thing is terrific. I'm excited to see that come along. Um, there's the solar wind. One other thing we, you know, um, we were involved a little bit with the county, and that would be like some geothermal applications for, for heating and cooling. Now, yes. Can you tell me what the the county's, I don't know, feeling is with geothermal? It's it's lack of interest or hesitancy? Or are you guys getting more interested? What's No, we've always been interested. We absolutely are looking for a project. So one of the problems that is, just to backtrack, Suffolk County, since the uh, mid-2000s, was started, started a capital project just for energy efficiency and energy projects. And that's unique, and part of what some of our award-winning work is that we make that commitment year after year to upgrade our buildings, to find better ways to heat and cool them. Yeah. And so we did go through a process where we had upgraded our Board of Elections, and we really did want to get a geothermal project in there. And um, as I find with, with a lot of the technologies, that the county is not necessarily the best uh, to be the first adapter. We really need to wait for the technology and the prices to come down, technology to be finessed. And so, you know, we, we really did have trouble finding that upfront money, even though it would have saved us. It pencils out, but <laughs> <laughs> it does, but we just weren't able to find that upfront money uh, for that project. So we're still looking, and, and we are absolutely. I'm, I was amazed when I researched geothermal to find out that there were hundreds. A lot of our schools and institutions are yeah. using it, and very effectively. It's a yeah. fantastic ne technology. And uh, so we're... I mean, we're looking at district-scale type projects now. I mean, it, it's I mean, just... I mean, you know, we've talked about it on past podcasts, and it's something that's near and dear to me because I get involved with a lot of these things, and... You know, I see the benefits and I see how you have to implement it, but a lot of the obstacles, and you hit it right on the head, is that initial capital cost up front. It can cost a little more, or maybe sometimes a lot more, than just putting in a conventional system, even though it's going to save you in the long run in terms of, uh, you know, fossil fuel and carbon footprint, and uh, everybody loves it when you're saving money, you know? Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I mean, we show that with our energy efficiency program with it, you know, whether it's as basic as uh, changing the lighting out, which, you know, we will do generation after generation as the lighting gets improved and there's something new and, and cleaner to put those in our buildings. Um, we have uh, 
done a few other, you know, kind of, you know, big projects, but using some uh, air source heat, heat pumps. pumps. But, um, yeah, no, we'll keep geothermal on our radar for sure. Oh, boy. Uh, I certainly one would appreciate it, but uh, hopefully the <laughs> listeners and county residents and everybody else would too. But we'll see. But, you know, getting back to the solar stuff, you know, which is really fascinating, like, so, you know, you, you were approached and you, you had the ideas of putting it in the parking lots and, you know, um, you know, what kind of savings is it seeing? You know, I mean, uh, so do you guys keep track of, you know, I, I know you said it's going right back into the grid and so the right. county's not really saving money on the energy, but you're making money on the lease. And No, but I, I could talk about our solar program, which is, again, more robust than most municipalities, except maybe California. Um so Suffolk County has uh, on seven buildings, just about 300 kW. Now, folks who are listening understand how much energy these buildings use. We're talking about putting 50 kW on time uh, on top of our 24/7 police headquarters, which also has our data center in it. So, so you know that Big those load. those 50 kW don't go too far. Nevertheless, we've been just chipping away, trying to get more of the clean power that we can use. And and I was surprised to find that our 300 kW on seven different facilities actually ranks us pretty high in New York State as far as users of solar power. And I think people listening will appreciate that when you're getting these older buildings, um, before I worked for Suffolk County, I worked for the town of Huntington. And Steve Israel was a councilman. Some of us may, uh, oh, yeah. most most may know him as a, a con- former congressman. congressman yeah. And he said, you know, work with those utilities and find out what we could do. And what I found out is a town hall is a 100-year-old, now it's a 120-year-old school building. And it had wow. asbestos and it had uh, lead and had all kinds of problems. It had windows that hadn't been upgraded since mm-hmm. the 1940s or something. So what we found out is to put solar on that building would just be, a, a, you know, a waste. It would go right out those old decrepit windows. So instead, the town embarked upon an efficiency program for that building and really did a good job with including upgrading the systems. But um, I, I then was directed to this uh, senior center that we have out at the beach at uh, Centerport and it looked like it could really work. It was a small building and maybe it would be okay. <laughs> and then the town historian came to me and said, you know, that roof was built in the oh 1700s yeah. <laughs> and we couldn't get near that building. So, you know, it's just, I, I think municipalities really do find that, especially if they're in older infrastructure, like a lot of our uh, towns and, and, uh, and certainly uh, the county has maybe the more modern building fleet, and it, it's even uh, getting to be. You're getting my mind racing with more and more questions. But so sure. starters, like, you know, okay, so this this building just happens to come up as a project. I mean, how do you guys select a project that you think is suitable for solar? I mean, what's the criteria? Is it a, is it a countywide mandate? We've got to consider this for every time we do a building renovation, we're putting up a new building or regardless of the size or the type of facility or, you know, right. how do you decide and, and what are your criteria? Okay. So first of all, shout out to my colleagues in DPW, Chief Engineer Mike Monahan. Oh, uh, Mike, Javid, I love you. Javed Ashraf is Jav- there Javid and too. he's done a great job. And so I can't possibly claim to have any 
you know, role in the question that you just asked. Okay. But you did ask about whether there's a mandate, and there actually is a an executive order that dates back about 10, 15 years, and that is to say that any work that's being done over 10,000 square feet, whether it's a rehab of existing space or a new building, must be considered for solar. That um, So that, that does weigh in for okay. sure and, and any construction that we're doing. So once we hit that 10,000 square foot threshold, it's, it's a requirement. Yeah, to, to look at it for solar. It's not a requirement to put the solar on because obviously... It's you not could, one size fits all, right? No, exactly. <laughs> it really, it's uh, uh, not every building is going to be the right uh, fit for that. But we are trying. We're looking. We at have that. had similar experiences with geothermal systems. It's yes. not always the right fit. No. So yep. I, that's why I was interested in you know how do you guys make the selection and decide it's a go ahead and and, and I know hopefully one day I'll get my buddies from DPW uh, to sit in the same chair you're in and I can grill them. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, they give you much more detail on that, but certainly. The Board of Elections is a, a great project to point to because that was built as an old warehouse, and yet we have folks using it as an office space, so a completely different use than oh, it yes. was built to be. And so they went through and they did the whole job, the lighting, the, the equipment, everything that needed to be done, windows, roof, and then put on 100 kW of solar. And so that to me is the perfect, you know, a oh, yeah. model project where we're able to really look at everything and then make the building efficient enough to where the solar actually makes a difference. Now, that that's a relatively new system. It's only been in place for a few years now, that's right? That's right. That's it, a, and maybe I'm asking the wrong person, but do, do you have any feedback on how it's performing, what kind of savings they've seen in, in the electric bill? or? Yeah, You know, I I. I don't have that. Um, I, it's okay. Yeah. No, I, I really just work on um, keeping track of what projects we have and, and uh, how many KWs they are, but uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> that would be fine. 